Uh, if you're visiting today, uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we have been looking at the Psalms. Uh, kind of the theme of uh, this fall uh, has been uh, a lot of us know the lyrics of the gospel, but have never really heard the music. And so the Psalms are about the music of the gospel. Uh, lyrics have been put, put to poetry. Now we come to a psalm today that's very, very practical. In fact, as I thought about a title, I like to try to come up with something a little bit catchy. And here it is, Knowing God's Will. There you go. And some of you, as you've looked uh, at this title, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, and I really want to address you today. I've screwed up my life so bad. <laughs> There's really no hope for me now. I, I kind of missed that train a long, long time ago through my disobedience. Decisions I've made. Kind of ruined my life. I'm sure there are a lot of y'all that are thinking this. You really want to believe the gospel. You really want to believe that God does care for me. He is my God. He's concerned about me. But why would he be? Because I've sinned over and over again. Y'all know what I'm saying? Uh, This psalm says that's not true at all. And there's really great hope for you today. Maybe, maybe you've fallen into such darkness, you think you're a reprobate. Or you think that God has forgotten about you. That he's given up on you. Why shouldn't he give up on you? And I would say to you, especially, that are willing to admit that. For you, God would want to speak today. To believe his mercy and goodness to you. I think we'll see that in our psalm. Psalm 25 is written here in your bulletin. We write these uh, texts down because we believe this is the inerrant word of God. So let's, uh, let's look at this text together. It's a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he instructs sinners in the way, and he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. And all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. 
Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. and The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments we have before we come to the Lord's table, we have read your word. And it's very clear from your word that you desire to lead us. And Father, often we want a map, and you not as our guide. But Lord, you give us yourself. I pray for any who are here today that feel so far, they feel as though they've hardened their hearts so greatly that there's no way back. Oh Lord, would you cause them to know your kindness and your goodness? That you are indeed a holy and righteous God, but you're a God, according to our text, several times, who is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness to those who look to Jesus Christ in the gospel. So, Lord, speak to us this morning, for we need you. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about an important subject. It's something I think that's important to all of us, even if you're in junior high or high school, especially if you're high school, you're a senior. Uh, And that is this uh, topic of guidance. About being able to live life right now today, this Sunday afternoon, in the presence, in the fullness, in the fullness, in the present, because we have a guide. And he knows us. And he knows our destination. You've got to see that. Let me give you an example of this. Many of y'all know I go on mission trips every year. I've been to various places all over the world. And there's certain places I go that are particularly scarier than others. Uh, whether it's going to, to Russia or going to recently been going to Uganda. I always take someone with me, not because I cannot keep up with how to read a, the flight board. But because in the present, I have so many responsibilities, like speaking in Uganda at ABU, African Bible University, nine times in five days, that it's nice to have somebody with me who knows the destination and who can make the plan so I can take the responsibilities of the present because anything in the present affects the future. It's just the way it is. That's the nature of life, right? The responsibilities that I have to preach this morning uh, began in the moments of of the week of looking at the scriptures and preparing so I can be ready. He who does not uh, think this way is what the Bible calls a fool. To not take responsibility for the present has all kind of consequences for the future. Let me uh, me, uh, address you high school students. Some of y'all want to get into a nice school. Maybe you want to get into an elite school. Well, that takes place today. 
And this week, and how you, how, you, how you study this coming week. And then if you get into one of these elite schools, maybe you get into Harvard the way I did many years ago in graduate school at MIT. Um, just teasing. Um, but it's just how you get in these schools. And you're taking the responsibility. Then what? Which school would you choose? Once you choose a, a course of action, it has so many uh, doors that, as we say, have been locked. And then think about it this way, high school student. Think about you taking, uh, making those decisions in the present, and you know that you've sinned. That you don't deserve anything but door number three, which is always the bad door. And so, how do you trust God when you mess up? Now, for some of us, like me, this almost 60 years old, I can tell you, since I've been a Christian, I've made many, many decisions. Some good, some really bad. So how does a minister, after he's been preaching the gospel for 30 years, who makes fairly frequently stupid decisions, do you ever do that? To believe that God will be gracious. And he'll lead you. And some of you are skeptics. And you're always welcome here. We have lots of people who come. They're not sure if they believe this or not. And uh, so, uh, basically, uh, it's called a post-Christian era. So you're kind of on your own. You're just making decisions and you hope for the best. There's no peace in that. There's no way to make decisions based on the fact that you don't know what it's going to bring. It doesn't lead to the great life. It certainly doesn't lead to peace. It leads to cynicism. But what difference does it make? And then some of you uh, who are into the spirituality realm, that uh, you're a spiritual person. Well, of course you are. You're creating the image of God according to the Bible. You say, well, I'm a spiritual person and I, and I believe that God's out there somewhere. But what good does that do you in the present if you're not sure what the future is? But the Bible... Tells us who God is. That God is the creator. That's why you're here. He's the redeemer. He's made you in his image. And though we're fallen, the Bible is very clear that God in his mercy has come in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us as his people. And to one day come back and take his people. So he knows he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And therefore, what I want us to understand this morning is this. If you are to live the fearless life or the great life, the life of faith, then you must put your faith in a God who will guide you through this troubled world. But you have to put your faith in Him. This is, again, God... Uh, you could look at the Bible and see the Bible does teach you things about God. It's there, there's the Ten Commandments there. There's lots of ethical codes that are there. There's kind of a map. And chances are, if you live according to the Proverbs and don't, ha- you know, don't have affairs uh, and, do, and, and don't uh, have premarital sex and uh, you know, save your money, chances are life will be better for you than a lot of other non-Christians. But God gives us more than a map. He gives us himself. Now, do you believe that? That he'll give you himself. 
And here's the question. Do some of you feel like that you've messed up your life so bad that you miss God's perfect will so bad that you're on the 23rd or 98th level and you think that he's actually given up on you? Then listen how David, the adulterer, the murderer, works the theology out in his life. And by the way, most of pain and suffering is because of bad thinking, I'll be honest with you. It's not thinking about God rightly. It's not thinking about the world rightly. It's making decisions based on the fact that you think God is some uh, harsh taskmaster. Or you don't believe that God is good. Or you don't believe in God at all. And you're making all these decisions based on the magazines on the bookshelf. Or the latest fad that's out there. And the idea of psychology. Now, God guides us. I want to show you how he does it. How David boils this thing down. And so here's the first thing that you'll see in verses 1 and 2. That God's guidance begins with our request for His presence in our lives. You cry out. And if you haven't cried out yet and said, God have mercy upon me, Lord help, help me, then either you are very young or you're very accomplished. And you don't need God. Well, David's not talking to people who don't need God. Because obviously, he does. Notice what he says. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, O my God, and you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. And let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Because this is a psalm of David. Matter of fact, David wrote pretty much all the psalms in book uh, the book one that goes up to Psalm 1 to 41. He pretty much wrote all of them. But notice here, David is the king. And he's responsible not only for his life, but he's responsible for the people of God in a very dark world. In a world that's troubled. There's a lot of trouble out there. Can we all agree to that? And he feels responsible for his people. Now, I thought a lot about this Ebola thing. And I don't know what to make of it. I'm sure you've all heard of Ebola, right? But I remember years ago reading a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it said there are things that are concerns and there are things that are problems. You can deal with problems. You can't deal with concerns. I have concerns about Ebola. But there's nothing I really can do about it. I can listen to talk radio and get upset and get mad at this and that and the other. But you know, there's really nothing I can do about it. But yet there's somebody in our government, there is somebody who does have that responsibility. And I feel for the weight that they must feel upon themselves because of decisions that they are making, Christian or non-Christian, that might well affect the very lives of hundreds or thousands of people. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Take those responsibilities. Well, here's David. And he's taking responsibilities for God's people in a world that's not only dangerous because of disease and policies and this and that and the other, but it's a world where there's a lot of evil. There's sin. People murder each other. People in this room hate each other. 
People in this room are very demanding and they want to have control of their world. They want to be the all-sovereign and the, and the impact is all on their children and their spouses and people around them because they think they're the center of the universe. And so there's real evilness in the world and David is concerned for God's people. And there were real enemies that wanted to wipe them out. Now let me ask you something. Has that changed for the people of Israel today? I mean, you can read it on the news. So David has a very real concern because there's real enemies because the Philistines and the Hittites and the Edomites, they hated God's people. And why? Because God has set them apart. Gave them the Ten Commandments. They are unique people. They don't burn their children up in fires. You might go, well, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me today. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, you say, well, I don't, I don't have enemies. Might I suggest it could very well be that you are not taking responsibility in the present for the kingdom of God. Everybody likes you. You're a good guy. You're awesome. People love you. You see, if you don't want to glorify God with your life and lift him up, you lift yourself up. And then everybody thinks, wow, you're awesome. But you see, to take the responsibility of preaching the gospel, ministering Christ to people, not kind of going and uh, doing what everybody else does, but you're kind of set apart, you're in a fraternity. But you're, but, and, you know, you're not 21 yet, so you don't drink. So you expose those nominal Christians because they'll do that. You see, and then the nominal Christians will be the first that will come after you. God's people. Why? Because you're different. Not because you're moral. Not because you're a goody-goody tissue. But because you love Christ. And you want to serve Him. And like Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And now you're salt and light. And the light either warns people or exposes people. So if you take the responsibility enough to where you get to the point where it's like, man, I've got all these responsibilities and I'm not, I'm not worthy to do this. Who am I to do this? Not to mention the fact there are people who oppose me. Then I believe that our text says, like David, you can cry out to God. You see that? If you're not crying out to God, you're not really asking for His guidance. You've got it all under control. You've got it figured out. Let me tell you how you know you, 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 you're not really crying out to God is you, you kind of always upset about everything else that's around you and the way things go against you and you complain about this and you gossip about that and you talk about this. You know what? You're not talking to God. You're talking to one another rather than Him. Do you all see that? He cries out. Oh, Lord, I lift up my soul to you, my being to you. Not my ideas, not my theology. But if you don't answer, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I'll be put to shame. And the shame that's speaking here is not embarrassment. I, I thought, well, okay, I, I, would, I would feel very shameful if I messed up as a pastor. What, how much shame? No, what the word literally means in the Hebrew is left alone. God, if I call out to you, will you leave me alone? And you see... When you feel that and you don't want to be abandoned, 
then the promise to you is you can call out to God. You're the ones who he's looking for today. He's not, he's not looking at the half-hearted. You understand that? It's never, ever, ever is it to you who are self-righteous. Are you here going to judge my sermon you're visiting today? Well, let's see if we like this guy's sermon. Versus the Word of God. I need to hear the Word of God. Now, here's the second thing that we learn about guidance. After he prays, we see that guidance is foremost, now listen to this, knowing the truth, not the future. Notice he doesn't say, hey, what are we going to do about the Philistines over here to the, to the uh, west of us? And what are we going to do about the Edomites that are over here? What's the plan of attack? What's the strategy? No. Notice what he says. Notice what he asked for. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Now I'll say something very important here. Because a lot of you, when you think about wanting to know God's will, maybe some of y'all are like seniors in, in college and you're going, man, this is great. Now I will know how to make a decision about what I'm, who I'm supposed to marry, about what I'm supposed to do with my life. I think I've said this before, but I used to be, for y'all that don't know me, I used to be a campus minister for our denominational ministry called Reform University Fellowship. And every year we would go to the beach and have literally now I think thousands of students go from all over the country. And all of us campus ministers, it would be a plenary speaker, but we would speak, uh, we would do a seminar. It might be on sanctification or justification or sex and dating or whatever it may be. And so you go sign up. But there was always one called Knowing God's Will. And guess what? That always filled up first. So when I taught that particular seminar, I think I told you all this before, but uh, the first thing I do is welcome all the narcissists, the self-centered people at the camp. Why? Because they're in there because I'm going to give them God's tarot cards on how you decide on who you're supposed to marry or not, right? But you see, there's two aspects of God's will, and you must understand this this morning. There are His decrees... And there are His precepts. His decrees you cannot know. I didn't know I was going to be born. Did you? I talk funny, according to some people that don't know any better. But I didn't ask to be a South Carolinian. I didn't know I was going to be born, have five older brothers. I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know I was going to marry Mary Beth when I was 15 years old. Those are God's decrees. When are you going to die? I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. You are going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. We lost somebody tragically last week. So we don't know. But you see, that's not what David's talking about here. What he's talking about here is I want to know your precepts. I want to know your truth. I want to know who you are in the midst of the pain and the suffering that's there in the world. As I take these responsibilities, I want to know what your will is. Let me tell you, if you guys are interested in a Christian girl, go read Proverbs 31. Just learn it, learn it, read it, get it in your head. And then all of a sudden you'll start seeing women in light of Proverbs 31. And chances are you're going to make a good decision. 
Because here's a woman who loves Jesus Christ, who serves the Lord and wants to honor the Lord. In fact, I would say no matter what your circumstances are in life, if you want to chew and meditate and think about God's Word and His precepts, and chew and live according to His Word, the decrees of God for you are going to turn out even if you get burned at, at the stake. That's what God's concerned about. That's what David's concerned about. Do you see that? What is God's will? I don't know what God's will is for you, but I know this, and it's there on the front of the bulletin. When students would come ask me this question, I would quote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is God's will for your life, Christian, even your holiness. You know what God's will for your life is? If you're a businessman, that you keep your oath even when it hurts. If you're a doctor, you don't cut corners. If you're a businessman, uh, you don't uh, charge usury. You keep your oath even when it hurts. And wouldn't y'all, wouldn't y'all think the world would be a lot safer in the future if everybody lived that way? And yet, how, so many Christians, you know what? We're always worried about what our future is going to hold, and yet we're willing to kind of do things on the slide and make things very unsafe. Boy, we need godly men and women because it makes the world safer. Matter of fact, it makes it safer for people in your family. But notice also, not only God's uh, guidance begins with prayer and is foremost through knowing His truth, guidance is promised, and you need to hear this, to those who are willing to admit their sin. At this point, you're going, well, okay, I really don't disagree with you, but I've really screwed my life up. And maybe you have. And maybe you feel the effects of your sin. But notice what David says in verse 6 and 7. Uh, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So he starts thinking about, right? I want to know your truth. So God begins to reveal his truth, right? And when God begins to reveal his truth, how do you measure up? You know, you remember how we did Psalm 1? We said Psalm 1 was kind of the beginning psalm. It's the wisdom psalm that basically says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the paths of unrighteousness. And he is like a, a tree planted by the rivers of water. And everything he does, he prospers. Okay, so there it is. And yet the rest of the psalms are about the psalmist struggling with the fact that he is not like the guy in Psalm 1. How about you? Oh, yes, I should prosper because I'm like the tree planted by the rivers of water. Well, you don't plant yourself. God does it. And if you bear fruit, it's because of God's grace. But the fact of the matter is, you nor I this week deserve to enter into his presence. And if you don't believe that, then then you're self-sufficient. You don't need a guide. You just need a map. And you can read uh, some of those books uh, at at, uh, the... uh, uh, bookstore to tell you how to do that. But here's David. He cries out to God and he wants to know the truth, but when he looks at the truth, he goes, I'm not living up to that. Do, do you see that? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, the man, he was not a good man. He, he had an affair and had a man killed. Do you understand that? I've, I've often wondered what it would be like to be Joab, one of his soldiers who really believed in David up to this point. And then David says, make sure 
that Uriah gets on the suicide squad because I need to cover up my sin. And he has him killed. And then he hardens his heart. My goodness. But let me tell you why David had great hope. It's because God had chosen him. And God pursues him. And let me tell you this. If you don't want God pursuing you, then it means he ain't calling you. If you want him to ignore you, then one day when you die, God says, okay, well, I'll ignore you forever. That's what hell is. But to go, Lord God, I have sinned against you. Would you bless me according, and the text says it two or three times here, your heseth love, your loving kindness, your loving kindness. You know, again, some some of us, we feel like we're at a a London train station. There are 9,000 trains that are there, and you don't know which one to take, and you took the wrong train, and and now you're going somewhere uh, that you're not supposed to be going, and you think you took that train. Let me tell you, Romans 8, 28 is true. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You might go, yes, but I've really been hooked on pornography. Uh, I've become bitter at God. I just just want Him to leave me alone. I could go down the list. Unbelief, self-righteousness. Oh, man, that'll get you. But you see, God will pursue you because of His hath His love. And when He turns you back to Himself and you see His goodness, then you'll repent. And you know what? You won't be an arrogant, self-righteous person that thinks you're better than everybody. You'll be just a leper who's leaping for joy because you've been healed of your leprosy. So would you come back? Do you hear God calling you this morning? Would you believe that maybe all along that was His will to let you over to your own sin? so that you might not be so arrogant? So you might be all a dumb sheep like the rest? And one last thing to see here, and, and, I, and I'll be brief on this because we need to come to the Lord's tub, uh, table. But So it begins, guidance begins with prayer. Guidance is foremost through knowing the truth. Guidance is promised to those who are willing to admit their sin. But lastly, I want you to see this. That guidance does not mean that our lies... Will not be will be free from affliction. You know, I say, oh man, if I follow the Lord and I'm serving the Lord, man, life's going to be turn out great for me. Life's going to be great. Then say that in our text. Notice what it says, verse sixteen: Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. I might I suggest that if you really want to serve Jesus Christ and know God and, and He's in that car with you and you don't have a map but you have Him, you ever notice if, 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 if you, somebody knows the city, you say, well, just tell me where to go. And you think they don't know where they're going, but they're taking you where they need you to go. And so here's God, He's, he's in the car with you. And, and you're thinking, intuition says, hey, take a right, that's where all the money is. Take another right, that's where the, the wife or the husband is. Take a left here. And God keeps going the opposite. David says that. 
My afflictions have been enlarged. Why is that? Because I believe the opposite of truth. The more you want to serve him, to know him, to draw near to him. When it talks about fearing the Lord, it means it doesn't mean you're scared of him. It means you live in his presence all the time. It might mean life gets real hard. Now, I want to close uh, on this. Um, when, there's a book I read years ago called Fair Sunshine. It was about Covenanter Presbyterian ministers in the 1600s who were being burned at the stake for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're getting their heads chopped off for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was one uh, gentleman named Richard Cameron, and he had a son who was a preacher. Richard had already been caught. He was put in prison. And but his son was kept slipping away, and they were hiding in caves, just like Hebrews 11 talks about. And he's preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel. And he's a young man, about 27 or 8 years old. I think his name was Thomas. And he had a wife and he had children. But he's on the run preaching the gospel, the good news of the work of Christ for sinners. And he gets caught. And when they catch him, they cut his head off. They cut his hands off. And they bring him on a platter up underneath a silver uh, giblet or whatever you call that. So they, they come in to Richard Cameron, this old man, faithful man of God. And then they say, Whose hands and whose head? And they lift, the, they lift the platter. And there's his son's head and his son's hands. Because he's a faithful minister of the gospel. And Richard Cameron falls on his knees and he touches his son's hands. And he says, They're my sons. My own dear son. Good is the will of the Lord. How did he know that? Because he chewed on the truth for a long time. Whatever the future brings. He didn't think the future would bring that his son had his head cut off and his hands cut off. But he knew this about God because he meditated upon his precepts that God is good and merciful and gracious. Please come this morning to see that the Lord is good. And I'll tell you why. Because Richard Cameron is with his son, Thomas Cameron, in heaven now. They're not like us who only see the Auburn game coming up. But they see with an eternal perspective. Let's pray together.